For me, there are two short prayers in the Bible that are wonderful, beyond proportion for their short size. One sentence each, spoken by different people at different times. They're not pious, abstract or distant, but they're very practical. They're in the moment, they're very earthy. They're prayers that I've prayed before and I'll pray again, and I bet you've prayed them as well. Do you know, if we prayed these little snippets of prayer, they have the power to transform our prayer life, seed the clouds and move God's hands. And so what are these two one-sentence prayers? Well, the first one is from the lips of Jesus. The other is from a very troubled soul. The one that Jesus prayed, he prayed in Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed. And Jesus knew that he was about to be abandoned. He knew that he was about to go to the cross. And so three times Jesus prayed for the cross to be passing by. Jesus prayed three times for another way. He said, this cup that is before me, Lord, I don't want to drink. Three times he prayed that prayer, and then he finished that prayer with, not my will, but your will be done. Amazing prayer, isn't it? How many of us have prayed that prayer? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Now, the second prayer uh, is prayed not on the garden, but at the foot of the cross. Sorry, not at the foot of the mountain, a mountain. And it's uh, uttered by someone in great distress as Satan tried to throttle the life out of someone whom God loved. So, as we come to this wonderful word, this powerful story, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to uh, absorb ourselves in your word. And we pray that your spirit will move and guide us and that we will see Jesus afresh and that your life-transforming power will be in us in Jesus' name. So we're back in Mark's Gospel. You may remember that uh, late last year we finished a series in Exodus and then we dove into our series in Mark, picked up where we'd left off a year or so before, where I had preached through the first half of Mark and we're picking that up again. And coincidentally, and when I mean coincidentally, uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, not my planning, coincidentally, we move from Exodus story to the Transfiguration story, which has so many echoes of Exodus, wonderful echoes of Exodus. And it starts with Jesus and the three disciples on a mountain. But then Jesus is transfigured. His glory that he had before creation is revealed in part. It breaks through. And as the disciples shield their eyes, we remember Moses also glimpsing God's glory on the mountain. Remember when he was hid in the cleft of a rock. And then God himself speaks to them from a cloud as God spoke to Moses from a cloud. And then Moses himself appears with Elijah. And we wonder, why are all these echoes of Exodus? What's the point of the transfiguration? Well, God wants to make it clear that Jesus was over and above the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah, Moses, considered to be the greatest but Jesus is over and above. He is greater than the greatest. And this is reinforced as God's voice thunders from the clouds and says, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And not only are the disciples to listen to Jesus as the Israelites listen to Moses, but Jesus is declared greater because he is 
God's son, his only son, whom God loves. And these echoes of Exodus don't just stop on the mountaintop because as we pick up the story, Jesus and the disciples are coming down from that transfiguration experience and the echoes continue. And so we pick this up in uh, in Mark chapter 9 from verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So what do you notice about the crowd? Well, first of all, they've been entertained quite happily by a wonderful argument, from their point of view anyway. The disciples are arguing with the religious leaders, a great way to attract a crowd. But more than that, because as they see Jesus approaching, they are overwhelmed with wonder. Just like Moses, when Moses came down the mountain, he had been with God and the glory of God resided on him so that Moses' face had glowed. And as Moses came down the mountain, we're told that the Israelites were filled and amazed with wonder. Now, we're not told why Jesus caused this wonder in the crowds. We're not told whether his face was glowing like Moses or something about his presence. But the crowds stopped being entertained by the argument and were in awe of Jesus. But this wonder is somewhat lost when Jesus finds, as he returned, as he found, returns, a heated argument. And another echo of Exodus, for when Moses came down the mountain with stone tablets, what did he find? Well, he found chaos among the people. Jesus comes down the mountain, what does he find? He finds Chaos among the people. Exactly what is this chaos? Verse 16. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. And as the story unfolds, we feel for the father, don't we? For many of us who have children, many of us know what it's like when a child is desperately ill. We feel as parents powerless to help. It's ingrained in every parent to protect and to nurture their children. So we know how helpless it feels when child faces the insurmountable, whether the child's young and it's a health crisis, or even when our children grow up. <laughs> and as adults, maybe there's a relationship breakdown, or maybe our adult children choose bad lifestyle choices that ruins their lives. And we, we feel we feel that pain, don't we? So we don't have to dig deep to really connect with this father's heart's cry. I remember how hard it was when our oldest boy was a toddler, and the amount of times that uh, he had to go to hospital in the ambulance with a nebulizer uh, because of his asthma. And when you're a young parent, you know what it's like, isn't it? It's, it's heart-wrenching. However, this despairing father thought, thought he had found hope. He had heard of this miracle-working rabbi, and so he hunted them down. He talked to people in the villages. Have you seen this rabbi? 
And the people in the villages, no doubt, said, try this place, try this place. And then as he drew near, he saw the crowds and thought, well, this is it. But oh, the disappointment, because Jesus was not there. But this desperate father had heard that the disciples of this rabbi, they could also heal. And that had wonderful success. So he asked the disciples if they could heal his son, if they could cast out the demon. And oh, how they tried. And they tried and they tried and they failed. Because of their failure and because of the attacks of the religious leaders, the father was despondent. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So how will Jesus respond? Well, a little bit like Moses, actually. Jesus responds by scolding. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How, shall, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. How many times did Moses say to the Lord, How long will I put up with these people that you have burdened me with? <laughs> and this here is the prayer of Jesus. Both the disciples and the crowd, they get a blast. Now Jesus has shown himself both patient and compassionate to the disciples and the crowds time and time and time again. But there are times when we all need to hear the reprimand, the discipline of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to the disciples, who often argued who, which of them was the greatest and jockeyed for position, and to the crowds who followed Jesus only because they were after something, to these he says, how long will I put up with you? However, this is immediately replaced by compassion. Bring the boy to me. And we can imagine Jesus' heart melting as the father brings his son to Jesus. Bring the boy to me. You see, even when his disciples let him down and the crowds were full of self-interest, Jesus still had compassion. Bring the boy to me. And do you know this is the highest privilege that we have in serving our Heavenly Father? Is to bring a child to Jesus or an adult or a friend? To bring a family member to Jesus? To bring a colleague, school friend, even a stranger? That's what we're called to do, isn't it? <laughs> We are called to bring people to Jesus. We can't raise anyone from the dead. We can't heal anyone. We can't give them eternal life, a hope that goes beyond their own troubles. We can't heal. We can't even bind wounds without bringing people to Jesus. And so verse 20, so they brought him. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has this been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity and help us. If you can. For us who know the story, for us who know our Bibles, for us who know Jesus, this seems 
such an insult, really, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, nothing's impossible to the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He who is God's own son, who was raised from the dead and intercedes for us at God's right hand, nothing, nothing is impossible to him. But of course, that was not the father's, not the boy's father's intent to, to insult Jesus or to cast doubt on his power. It was the cry of a heart from one who had forgotten how to hope, who had lost everything. And there are times when we come to God like that. <laughs> and sometimes our prayers might on the outside seem insulting as we say, why, Lord, didn't you have the power, the ability to change that situation, to make that difference? And God is not offended as we come with those cries of our heart. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, was the Father's cry. And then verse 23 if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And here we have that second one-sentence prayer, that prayer I talked about before. Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours. And here we have, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm sure if I asked a show of hands, a significant amount of people would put their hand up and said, I've prayed that prayer. I mean, this is a commentary on all our prayers, aren't they? We come to God believing, but we know. <laughs> we know that we also come with unbelief. It's the cry of our heart. It's a description of our prayer life. We believe now, if we didn't believe, we wouldn't be praying, would we? We wouldn't be coming to God if we didn't believe. And we think of Hebrews 11, 6, and, and we're happy with this. We understand this. In fact, we're all over this. Hebrews 11, 6, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Yes, tick the box, we believe he exists. And he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Yes, we believe that he rewards us. But often it's, it's in the head, isn't it? <laughs> And yet our heart is in turmoil because our child is so sick or our financial reversal is so extreme or one of our children's relationship is so messed up. Lord, we believe. <laughs> Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And as we pray these words, God stretches and grows and increases our believing till the faith in our head moves the, to the faith in our hearts. And often that's what prayer is about, isn't it? We pray for things, the concerns in our heart, but we linger in prayer until that prayer moves from our head to our heart, till that faith moves those 30 or 40 centimetres. I do, do believe, help me overcome my belief. And you know, this is enough for Jesus. Jesus says everything is, a po is possible for one who believes. And when the Father does reply with those wonderful words, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, Jesus takes this morsel. He takes this speck of faith, this mustard seed of faith, and says, that's enough. Verse 25. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But wonder of wonders, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Jesus, who had scolded the people just so shortly before, now compassionately and in power, takes the young boy by the hand and lifts him up and presents him to his father. And here Jesus is doing what he does best. He is raising the dead. He is taking someone by the hand and lifting them up from the dead. Earlier in Mark, do you remember the story of Jairus' daughter? When Jesus went to the room, she was dead. And Jesus did what? He took her by the hand and presented her to her father. We also remember in the Gospels that there's a funeral procession and it's going past Jesus. And it's that of the only son of a widow. And what does Jesus do? He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And Jesus presents this young man to his mother. Jesus is doing what he does best, taking those who are dead and raising them up. Revelation. John, he's on the island. He has a vision. And there he sees Jesus in his glory. John, the apostle John, had seen the transfiguration. And now as an old man on the island in prison, he sees Jesus in his glory. And what happens? He falls down as dead. And then we see this in Revelation chapter 117. I, John, fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And so this old man, faithful man, Jesus reached down and with his hand raised him from the dead. Jesus is at his best when he takes those who are dead holds them by the hand and raises them up. And that includes you and I. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. That is the default of every human. We are born spiritually dead, cut off from God, destined to perish in hell. If we do nothing, that is our fate. However, when we say, to our Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Then we have verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Just as Jesus took the young lad's hand that we see in today's story, so he takes us by the hand. We're spiritually dead, destined to perish, but Jesus takes us by the hand and raises us up. To all those who say, Lord, I believe, Jesus comes, transforms our heart, and we're born again. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So Father and Son are united with great joy. We can imagine uh, the tears and the hugging, the relief, 
the amazement of the crowds, and the problems that the disciples are now wrestling with. (laughs) Why? Why? And so verse 28, we read this to conclude our passage. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked them privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And we might say, well, what did the disciples think they were doing? Casting out demons. Who said they could anyway? Well, if we go back to Mark, we'll see that Jesus commissioned his disciples in Mark chapter 6. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. In verse 12, they went out and preached that the people should repent. And they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. And so the disciples had this amazing track record. They were used to confronting evil spirits. They were used to laying hands and praying and for these spirits to shriek and scream and run a mile and for the person they prayed for to be healed and set free. So this was why they were so confused and this is why they asked Jesus in private, why couldn't we drive that spirit out? To which Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Snapped. (laughs) You see, the disciples, no doubt, had laid hands on the young lad, anointed him with oil, no doubt. They had commanded the evil spirit to go out, but guess what they forgot? They forgot to pray. Ouch. Isn't that an embarrassment? To these disciples that Jesus had chosen, had quipped, sent out in a miraculous ministry, highly regarded by those who were following Jesus, the others, And they forgot to pray. This brings us to our first take-home, first of two take-homes for today. We often forget to pray. Not just in our devotional life, where because of the busyness and distractions, we find that we haven't spent time praying for God for a day or two or three or a week or more. Not just that sort of distraction. I'm talking about those people that are serving God forgetting to pray. At crucial times, we assume that Jesus will just come through. So, you know, if you're a minister like myself or a music leader or whatever you're doing, a small group leader, you're serving God. And what creeps in is this assumption that just because you're serving God, he will bless what you're doing. And you forget to pray. You just, I'm serving God, of course he'll bless. He'll bless this ministry that I'm in. It's a trap because we find ourselves just taking God for granted and not serving him. I think that's what was happening with the disciples. They're so used to praying and having people healed and raised from, the, uh, and raised from sickness that they were forgetting to pray, just going through the emotions. So all of those of us who are in ministry, there is a challenge here not to assume that just because you're serving God that he will bless what you're doing. You need to keep, I need to keep dependence in prayer. All of us, all of us need to be in that dependency and not neglect prayer. So that's our first take-home. Second take-home is that wonderful instruction that Jesus gave to the disciples, which he again gives to us. And that instruction is, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. As individuals and as a church, Jesus is saying, Bring people to me. 
And we can't raise them from the dead or cast out demons or cure their woes or give them a hope that goes beyond themselves that they need for their, for their uh, life. We can't give them that, but Jesus can. And our job is to bring people to Jesus, not to solve their problems, bring people to Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we do that in prayer. We pray for people. Uh, we do that in friendship with them, fellowship, sharing scripture when it's appropriate, inviting them to a church event, a small group or a worship service or something. We bring people to Jesus. Can I challenge you this week and pray, Lord, help me to bring someone to you in prayer, but in a conversation, befriending someone, bring people to Jesus. And as we bring people to Jesus, and as he moves, and he will, we will become lost in wonder as Jesus makes a difference in that person's life. As he moves, as he works, we will be overwhelmed as we see Jesus doing those wonderful things that he does. And what does Jesus love to do most? Take someone by the hand and raise them from the dead. And you and I can be part of that ministry by bringing them to Jesus. Praise to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, who takes us by the hand and raises us by the, from the dead and invites others also to come to Christ. Finish with these words that Jesus said as he had taken the older apostle uh, John, no doubt by the hand, and said to him, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, behold, I am alive forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this wonderful story where a father's heart was breaking and yet you you had compassion on this father and the son was set free. Help us, Lord, to know the reality of being set free, to know what it is to be raised from the dead spiritually and, of course, when our time comes to be raised from the dead physically. But also teach us, Lord, to be able to help us, encourage us, give us the courage to also bring people to Jesus. We pray this through his glorious name. Amen.